0: you uh, join us today really appreciate your time we we also have uh, simona jankowski i'm going to pass over to simona uh to to read out uh, forward-looking statements so simona over to you
1: thanks brett as a reminder this presentation contains forward-looking statements and investors are advised to read our reports filed with the sec for information related to risks and uncertainties facing our business back to you brett
0: Thanks, uh, thanks, Simona. So, so Ian, uh, maybe one to set, set out, um, maybe just set, set the scene here um, in the market. Uh, I guess 2020 was a was a breakout year strategically and commercially uh, for for Nvidia, for your division specifically. I mean, you launched the A100, uh, you finalised the Mellanox transaction, uh, and launched DPU. There's obviously the proposed acquisition with ARM. There's a Chinese entity list restrictions to deal with. I mean, surging sales. It was it was obviously you know just a crazy year. Um, It's clear at least it's clear to the investors uh, that we're in this giant kind of innovation phase uh, for compute right now. Can you maybe just break down what you see in front of you running this running this division? What do you see over the course of 2021, 2022? You know, I think we can all recognize it's still really early in the adoption curve of accelerated compute. But, but what's going to define this year for you after a crazy 2020?
1: Well, it was a crazy 2020, um, and certainly from where I'm sitting, uh, uh, you know, Nvidia launched a whole new architecture, a whole their Ampere GPU, or A100. We had to launch um, from our homes. Uh, in fact, Jensen from his kitchen. And, uh, it was, uh, and I think while other companies, uh, you know, slowed down or, or struggled to execute, I think we thrived in that environment. You know, we're already a virtual global company and we, we knew how to do what we we do. And we launched it, um, you know, from a kitchen virtually. Uh, and A100 has been a great success for us and it continues to be so. In fact, the market today is only just now it really gives me joy, the benefits. Uh, of what ampere uh, can do for their businesses uh it's a 20x improvement over our previous architecture this is the kind of innovation that um the kind of improvements that we make generation over generation we do that because we are able to achieve that because we look at it from a whole stack perspective it's not just the chip and what the performance of the chip can do obviously the chip is critically important and ampere added new technologies like uh uh, tensor tensor float 32, uh, and a whole new tensor core architecture. And for on the other on the uh, gaming and visualization side, it also added ray tracing, uh, the new ray tracing capabilities, which are amazing, but it, we optimized all the software stacks as well. So what we're seeing right now, of course, is that adoption of A100. Uh, it's targeted, uh, first and foremost, of course, to the AI and cloud markets and, and broader data centers. So the ability to train some of the world's largest models are being done now with, now with Ampere with A100. Uh, it also, of course, is seeing success in HPC and scientific computing. Um, Our strategy is to build one GPU, one platform that's highly leveraged, and at some point, different vertical capabilities and markets and libraries and SDKs to take advantage of that one GPU architecture underneath. So what I see moving forward is first um ai continues to obviously grow Uh, it's software writing software that is defining the the next generation applications that you and i are going to interact with in the cloud or use for business insights and other things um it's a totally new technology you know it's something that the world is still still learning how to use even from first principle standpoint um you know and you see that in our business uh it grew a lot originally in the hyperscalers you know the googles and the facebook's and the Amazon's and the Alibaba's of the world, who had the people and the technology and the knowledge to go invent it and build it from scratch, we're starting to see a broadening of that. So the cloud is starting to consume more and more of our GPUs as the rest of the world is learning how to use this technology, um, either NVIDIA's directly software or the software of partners and AI stacks that we're working with. Uh, and finally, and we're start so on the training side for sure, uh, and also now increasingly in the enterprise, uh, the bigger companies who maybe need uh, who now are understanding how they can apply their business their decision-making and use this AI technology for things like understanding their data that they're ingesting, understanding their product adoption, understanding their, um, uh, the recommend what to give to their customers, uh, and also, uh, changing how they interact with their customers, particularly here at Kobe, where we're all kind of, it's a whole new world, um, where, where video chat is, is what we do. <laughs>
0: Good. I, I mean, I guess since we've we, this is largely a non-technical audience, I wanted to spend a bit of time on the market and the strategic opportunities you see in the next couple of years. And maybe, maybe first of all, um, we've seen a lot of research breakthroughs in AI in the last 12 months. I mean, Bert Large, but now GPT-3. These model sizes are going crazy, um, and 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 algorithms too. But I mean, um, we're still it still looks like we're in the applied research domain here with a lot of this breakthroughs. And I think one of your colleagues, uh, Brian Cantanzaro was saying that maybe in a five-year view, it's possible that companies could be spending a billion dollars in compute time just to train a single language model. So uh, I guess, you know, what's the practical applications we're going to see from all this, um, all this breakthroughs that we're seeing on the model size.
1: Yeah. Uh, It is, people are still figuring out, the limits of AI, uh, for sure. I think one of the areas where it started was with was in computer vision. Yeah. Um and that was the idea of, you know, what is this a picture of? A basic question. Um and, and there I think we're largely mature. Uh, we have well. Uh, this was the the starting point of AI six seven years ago. Was ask asking a computer that question, yeah. um, and I think we're pretty good about that. We're getting pretty good also identifying different parts of the pictures, putting boxes around them, even identifying individual pixels of what's consists of my face and what's the background. That's AI green screening, uh, and you're starting to see um, you know consumerization of that technology. When Brian talks about these billion these huge models, these billion parameters that you hear about. That's in new areas, um, in, uh, particularly in natural language processing. That's an area where we're going beyond just understanding computer vision, which, if you think about it, bugs and cats and dogs and uh, you know, every intelligent life force and some intelligent can do some level of computer vision. Their brains are pretty small. Language and language understanding, however, is a much broader and bigger problem a challenge. Right. Where I, you not only need to understand what I am saying right now, but also what I mean, my intent, and understand it, and take action on it, and respond to it, and communicate back to me in the same way that I'm communicating with you. Yeah. That's a very uh, uh, more, much, much more intelligent prob- um, uh, problem. But the opportunity there is very large, right? This is how we interact as humans, and we're now gonna interact as computers. And how all of our data and how we interact with with our, with our businesses actually, you know, they do through through language of understanding uh, uh, and document. Things like chat bots or recommender systems or sentiment analysis or understanding a dialogue and making decision or a call to a doctor's office or a help request or your financial advisor or understanding the meaning and intent. We have technologies like virtual assistants or chat box that want to do this kind of, um, to have this kind of understanding to improve the user experience and in the end make it make it better for customers. So that's where conversational AI is a big thrust right now. We call that in the general area of conversational AI. There's um you know and the market's huge. You know there's five hundred million support calls a year. There's two hundred million meetings going on um there's, you know, 200 million smart speakers in the world. Um, that is where, and obviously in the new world of COVID, everything is digital. So it's all going through a digital medium where it's an area where, you know, there could be an AI agent on this call to help transcribe it, understand it, summarize it, capture actions. Um, and you can yeah. see people talking about those things. That Those are those are the big models. The other area is recommenders. I think um, recommenders are, uh, think about it, this is how you interact with the internet now. You know, search, it really is a recommendation. Uh, when you go to Amazon or you're browsing a website to buy something, uh, they are recommending things to you. When you visit your news feed, they're deciding what you see and you don't see, obviously, and the, other, and the implications of that. Um, those models not only have to present something that's accurate to you, but something that you're likely to buy and also moderate content at the same time. Yeah. Here we have a huge data problem of the amount of data across, think about every user of social media, every news post, and every product. That's a massive matrix. So those models tend to be very large. And certainly, the data they're trying to capture is very large, and are getting even bigger. Um, so there, we're seeing uh, significant growth in the um, uh, in the the, the the challenges of AI, and also where people are buying some of their infrastructures. And it goes right. To, obviously, they're highly motivated because it often goes right to the bottom line of their economics. Uh, examples. One of the examples there, I guess, in conversational AI is Microsoft Office. So I, I don't know if your 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 audience knows this, but if you turn on grammar checking, uh, Microsoft is actually using an AI model based on BERT, to, uh, which is a, a famous AI uh, model for doing language understanding. So it's finding the grammatical errors, highlighting them in blue. Um, that model got so complicated because it's trying to understand language that they had to move it to a GPU. So today that runs on an NVIDIA GPU, and as you're doing live Office 365, um, it's a beta now that we're rolling out that'll actually do a highly accurate grammar correction for you by running all of those sentences through a GPU and running that AI in real time for inference.
0: Yeah, yeah, interesting. Maybe just switching gears a little bit, Ian. In terms of the adoption curve here of the, te- the technology, I mean, you mentioned computer vision; it was a six, seven year ago thing. We've kind of solved that. We're moving on to the next thing. But I guess when we do a lot of surveys, talking to CIOs. AI is not coming up and they're spending budgets as the big item or a, a big item today. And I guess the technology still feels quite nascent outside of maybe the top 50 hyperscalers who are, you know, developing next-gen models and doing all the recommenders that you laid out. Um, how how many organizations do you think are actually using accelerated compute today at real scale?
1: Yeah, I think the, the adoption curve followed, like I mentioned, the... Um the people who have the capability to use it. So if you think about the adoption curve or how it's getting consumed, um, there's two parts of it. There's the training part, which yeah. is developing the AI service or model for your use case. And then there's a the deployment part, which is the inference of deploying AI uh, as the, in, live in a service uh, and, and the infrastructure necessary to do so. I, the adoption curve followed the people. So first you needed the people that understood data science, understood a, like a machine learning, Ops flow, flow, uh, and had the capabilities to, to understand what was being published in the AI community yeah. and apply it to a particular business. That was pretty small. In fact, it all started in Hyperscaler. So I think of the Fortune 5, you know, 500, 5,000 and others, it's still relatively small. Where we see the traction actually is them going through an ISV partner, a startup. And then the startup community is actually quite rich in this area to find the right partner that understands or has a particular technology and working with them to apply it to their particular business use case. I see a, a, a huge majority of the use cases outside of the, the big hyperscalers. Starting that way, and I think your your community probably sees the startup activity in in AI right now, and it makes a lot of sense. A lot of smart people with some great ideas that could be applied to many different pop, pop, uh, possible business use cases. Um, at that point, you develop that service with that partner, uh, probably with your own data scientists and with, this, with with the company, and then you need to turn on and deploy it. Um, that growth will come. Uh, that's a different growth factor. Right. One is training and developing the model, which, of course, scales with the number of people, yeah. number of problems, and model set size. So you kind of multiply those three together, and you kind of get the size of the of the training opportunity. On the other side, you have the inference and deployment. That is all about the data. So yeah. as the service is running, the amount of data coming in is an opportunity for AI to optimize, and that will scale with the amount of data and size of business. And there is an opportunity for, you know, you want a GPU in front of every one of those connections to run and operate and execute the AI you know, at the latencies required for that service, whether it be you know interactively on a feed, you click yeah. on it, we got to do hundreds or a thousand inferences in, in in milliseconds, or a voice conversation where we have to maintain a, a 20 millisecond uh, inference latency just to keep yeah. up with the number of utterances, at least yeah. at the speed that I talk. I mean, I
0: guess, I guess you know, this is obviously going to take time, and there's a lack of data scientists out there that really understand this as well, but. Um, We see a lot of guys prototyping today, and you know, kicking the tires in the cloud, trying to, you know, figure out what they're going to do with the technology. But you know, how do you see a path, or what sort of path do you see to corporates building industrial scale in AI? Um, And and is this going to be more sort of a cloud hyperscale play um, Mm -hmm. in providing
1: services and libraries and support, in your view? So I think a lot of it starts in the cloud. Obviously, it's easy to take that first step in the cloud when you're, you're you know uh, from a budgetary standpoint, yeah, you're, by, you're paying by the hour, um, and certainly uh, we we uh, from NVIDIA standpoint, we make sure our architecture is available and our platform is available everywhere. You know, I work with all the major cloud providers to activate and make sure they have the latest A100 um you know GPUs uh in their in their clouds so that other customers can use them or they're inferencing on their T4 GPUs at the same time we make sure all the major OEMs have access to our technology and we offer the same base for the same GPUs to both at the same time so the market can consume it however they want they choose and mm-hmm. uh, totally um, we remain open that way the uh the adoption tends to start usually where your data is uh, so if your data all resides in the cloud it tends to start in the cloud um, or if it needs to be on-prem or in your own data centers for privacy or security reasons, people start there too. So that usually is the kicking point for where things get started. Um, they can do experiments in the cloud, but when they get to, to real stakes, they start where, where their data is. As this scales up, certainly people look at their, their cloud bills and they decide whether they want to be uh, do it on-prem or do it in the cloud. In many cases, I see also stratification, so people don't want to manage risk. So they'll, they want to make sure they can uh, work with multiple different cloud vi- providers and have an on-prem use case, uh, on-prem capability as well, uh, to manage their risk or where they want to run different services. Yeah. So it's not it's it's not locked, necessarily uh, locked into one particular cloud or one particular uh, on-prem or hybrid. I think people are going to necessarily naturally want to do both, um, and it'll vary from from industry to industry for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. And and just talking about the cloud, what role do you think they really play here? Because from, from a silicon perspective, on one hand they're buying your GPUs, uh, you know, guys like Google and, and and AWS, and on the other, some of them are developing their own chips and and software. Um, so so you know, how do you, how do you see the sort of internal chip efforts developing? They obviously don't have the resources that um, Nvidia has. Um, And the and the and the and the reach. So just love to get your thoughts in terms of these internal silicon efforts.
1: Well, sure. So I think the um, uh, first off, uh, it's great that everyone's coming to conclusion they need accelerated computing. I mean, the the AI use case is a great one where compute can turn into software which can turn into these business opportunities. Um, And we work with all of them. Um, one of the things that is unique about NVIDIA is that because we are at the forefront of a lot of this technology um, and that we are a full stack company. Remember, I'm releasing not just the GPUs that everyone can get access to and start and using, but I'm also releasing all the software stacks on top of it as well. We work tightly with our friends at Google and TensorFlow or Facebook and PyTorch um, and, and many other stacks, actually, some of the ML Ops stacks as well. We also release some of that, our own containers, our own optimized versions, and make them freely available on our NGC um, uh, container registry for download and get the latest certified, tested, validated um, uh, AI software that works, whether it be in the cloud or on-prem. We're the only AI company that's working with all the other AI companies, including yeah. all the hyperscalers. And we take all that learning and all that knowledge, all those engagements, whether it be a recommender system, a conversational one, we're doing stuff on vid- AI for video chat, just like this conversation as well. Yeah. That informs us. We help the customer. We make our products better, our libraries and SDKs better. And then we incorpor- make it better for them. And then we incorporate them back into our platform. Some of those incorporations just improving and making our frameworks better and more optimized, yeah. uh, or the vertical stacks that we optimize. And that same feedback gets right back into the hardware teams and the architecture. And we benchmark and tune it, test ourselves. And how are we doing? And th- that team also sees how they can improve their architecture and make new investments in, in the architecture itself, whether it be the compute to the caching or the memory and define the next generation. Um, and as someone who stays in the middle of that, you, I can see how quickly that happens at NVIDIA. And as a result, we're releasing new containers every month uh, for these different workflows and the different frameworks, uh, as well as new architectures every year now uh, yeah. to continuously innovate. Because we're super not done. This is an area of, of rapid innovation, which is great for companies. Yeah. They can get on that train, on that bandwagon, and then they can ride the wave if there's if they're programming to those interfaces at the, at this high enough level such that when when a video comes along with the next GPU and the next you know version of our software they just see that 20x that they saw with with ampere yeah. um, and that that story will repeat itself uh, over and over again yeah. so everyone's investing i think it makes total sense ai is the soft the platform that where where compute can just write software um I think from where we stand, we and and they know is we're making our platform available everywhere to all those customers, and they can and they can benefit, and we can benefit from it. And I think the what mostly advances is the adoption of AI inside of the broader enterprise, uh, which is pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and then just I guess on the cloud specifically, we've seen in cloud compute a big concentration amongst a few big players, um, and, and you know I, I, I listen to AWS, they talk about we've got 10,000 customers for machine learning today. Um, does this become a concentrated services market that's dominated by a few public cloud players? And, and, and if not, you know, do you see a large opportunity to sell pods or, you know, systems to corporates um, and build your own
1: enterprise channel? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> a couple of things. One is um, uh, there's a, uh, there's, there's not, definitely we see, there's, there's not one way to consume AI for sure. Uh, and there'll be services that are, that are going to stand up different server. AI is a, is a capability. So different services will stand up to and, and serve that capability, and they'll be fine-tuned. This is not just one software program that runs them all. Um, the models are wildly different, uh, and the use cases are different. You know, it's some offline, some streaming, some are more ensemble-based, uh, some are more, and and their latency requirements are wildly different. So I think you'll see a wide variety of different services and capabilities, and and everyone will compete naturally on on those those verticals or those capabilities in the market um, in terms of the hybrid and the on-prem that of course will be a decision that people want to make in terms of how they, how much they want to consume in their utilization first and yeah. foremost and where their data is from a super standpoint and a pods for your, for your audience. This is the ability to actually put together multiple GPUs in a system and create a, a AI uh, infrastructure for a broad data science team. I think as, as AI gains more adoption, people are going to want that infrastructure internally. First off, it allows them, uh, to optimize that infrastructure for their workload and their model size. Some, some models can train up to thousands of GPUs. Some are more, uh, optimized to running in embedded use cases and maybe more a different, a different size and different scaling. So that scaling parameter is something we need that we can get today on-prem that we do. We're starting to see more of it in the cloud, but it also opens a lot more diversity of different architectures in the cloud, and the hyperscalers have to make their own decisions on um, when to make that investment, because obviously they're hyperscalers, so they have to decide at the scale they want to deploy something. We are seeing more and more options in the cloud, which is also very exciting because it offers different, uh, different places and, and points for customers to choose from. In the end, it'll boil down to a rent versus buy decision on the, on the, for themselves. And that just comes down to the economics, um, which is a different, which is you know, the same conversation I think we've had along all the way between. Um, you know, cloud versus on-prem. AI will be no different there, except there are differences in how you want to necessarily configure the machines. Certainly for training, um, and in terms of how many nodes you want to put together, going all the way to an InfiniBand stack, going, you know, providing a high-speed storage solution that's tightly coupled to your compute, which is usually very important for for training at scale. Yeah. Uh, and one of the reasons why we built our own superpod Celine and made it available to our customers is because some of those capabilities are obviously. Uh, they're they're basically supercomputers, wow. uh, which which we can offer to the community. Um, I also do supercomputers too. Uh, but we can offer the community to get, to get that head start. Uh, and then the clouds are starting to figure out how they can participate in that as well. And we are seeing some InfiniBand happen in, in, in the CSPs and the cloud providers, which is exciting. Uh, and some of the different storage op- op- options. Um, obviously it's a different challenge for them to deploy that stuff at scale across multiple regions and, and making it available for rent. Uh, and we making the economics work for them as well. But I think you're going to see a lot more diversif- diversification in the kinds of instance types and capabilities of different clouds for people to get access to the different ways that technology is all connected
0: together. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, interesting. And
0: maybe you mentioned
1: Celine, uh, Ian, and, and
0: I wanted to just touch a little bit on this infrastructure investments that NVIDIA is making. I look at the CapEx budget at, at NVIDIA and it's going up and, you know, analyzing over a billion dollars or so today. And I know you're investing in new campuses, et cetera, uh, but... Uh, does Nvidia see a opportunity to offer AI services to enterprises? Is that, I mean, we see the GeForce now business model very early stage, but is there an opportunity, a wider strategy to be in the
1: services business yourselves? Oh, the, the reason, um, you see us building Celine and building our own infrastructure is uh, first off, to be successful in AI, you have to be a practitioner. Right. It's not like you, um, you have to understand this technology intimately to understand how to advance it. Because like I said, it's not just one chip or one core. You know, the problems that people want to do today, the capabilities are super exciting, but you need to think about like the data center as a whole. And you can't just think about, you know, programming on one chip. Today's models are too big to fit on a single GPU or even a single, some cases a single server. You have to think about, you know, they have to be sp- spread across an entire rack or row or data center uh, and certainly to train them in any time that's reasonable, which, you know, most two weeks, you don't really want to go more than that. Keep a data sciences team, which is also very expensive, busy. Um, you need to do multi-node training at scale, which is yeah. which is batch based training. So now I'm thinking about the entire data center and you can't do that on paper. In order to be successful in AI, you have to be thinking about that problem at scale. And as an engineering organization, we build it and we do it. Um, We do it to make our products better, for sure. We also create our own products into vertical markets, and we've chosen a few. Self-driving cars is one of them. So a huge portion of the infrastructure we're seeing today is being used for our self-driving car initiatives, for NVIDIA DRIVE, and the work we're doing with our, with our self-driving car customers to give them a turnkey solution to, and partner with NVIDIA to deliver a self-driving car capability. And that goes, that build, we have, So we had to build the whole pipeline from the data ingestion to the labeling to the training to the simulated environment where we run the car in simulation and, and crash it a hundred times without ever hurting anyone and seeing what works and doesn't work before we ever put it in the car and have actually tested it real time so we have to build out that infrastructure as a result we also learn about our products and make them better Uh, we certainly also have our own research teams which are specializing in different capabilities and learning how uh, advancing the field forward ourselves they also teach us a lot about our product Um, in in terms of, of services and what we can do we work with this is not just one market. This is, this is, I mean, one use case, right? So the, our strategy is to make available our AI platform to every different startup, hyperscaler, OEM and enterprise so they can consume it and develop their own, their own capability. Remember, we're at the phase of a, a new form of computing and people are figuring out how to deploy it and use it for those different use cases. For some markets, we do choose to just go vertical because we can advance it forward. We've done it in self-driving cars. We've also done it in conversational AI, like I mentioned. So we have a software stack called Jarvis, which comes with pre-trained models that can help do speech recognition and some language understanding, also some text-to-speech capabilities. Uh, We've done it for a recommender system. So we've published... Uh, a software stack, which is a baseline capability for doing large recommender systems at scale. Yep. Uh, and this was informed through our engagements with hyperscalers. We call that Stack Merlin. We also have a video collaboration stack, a UCAS stack called Nexine, which is used for improving um, the experience that you and I are having right now over Zoom uh, and helping those uh, apply AI technologies to things like noise cancellation, green screening, super resolution, et cetera. So um, we'll choose some, and they're really there to help advance the AI field forward. And it di- it's a different; it usually doesn't go all the way to a turnkey solution. Um, uh, it usually goes to active enablement, and the rest of the market can then take it from there and um, and and deploy the technology and, and see the benefits of it.
0: Mm. Can I maybe just ask, um, Ian? If I, I guess if we look back at the V100 cycle for the data center division, it was a bit lumpy. You know, you had good times and you had slower times, and I guess it takes time for customers to digest what they're buying before they need the next um, amount of compute. Do you think that's going to be the – is that just the behavior that we're going to see in A100, or do you think that uh, it'll be a different type of market this time around?
1: It's getting faster every time, and I think it's because the market's maturing so what well, we saw in v100 was that fur remember this was 3 years ago that that wave of ai um it, it requires some time for people to absorb and understand the technology and see the next ramp. I think becoming uh, the software has matured the way to go to the markets and the technologies and uh, software has matured such that it's, it's going, it's much faster for us. Uh, we certainly see uh some digestion in the sense that when you do a product transition, obviously people want to refresh a large fleet like a hyperscaler that does happen, but it's, it's what we have experienced from V100 to A100 is much, uh, it's much more optimal. Uh, much happening much faster. And in fact, we grew in our data center business where many other companies, I think, uh, struggled or saw some more, um, some downturn. And I think it's because of the, uh, uh, the, the, rapid adoption of AI and then the observation of the 20X and the need to go to that next platform, really pulling the product forward and making sure that it gets, gets into market as quickly as possible making it available. So I think that those transitions are happening faster. There's always going to be some, you know, transition. We all, we have to manage and We certainly spent a lot of time focusing on it. We prime the pump. We make sure that everyone gets their platforms ready and we make our technologies ready early so people can understand it. So when it hits the market, everyone's ready to absorb it. Mm-hmm. Um, backwards compatibility is a big part of it. Making sure all the frameworks and all the AI software stacks are already ready to go on day one. We don't wait for people to test out our hardware or try it before we port. We're porting ourselves ahead of that in simulation mm-hmm. with early versions of the hardware so that when it gets ready to launch, we have all those stacks ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we've improved significantly since, since from B100 to A100. Yeah.
0: Excellent, and and maybe just on the on the competitive dynamic that you see ahead. I mean, you've you've had a dominant, you have a dominant franchise, um, in in particularly in training, but but also you know it's getting as accelerated compute comes to inference, you know, you, you you're doing great. Um, if you look out two to three years from now, how sustainable do you think your position, your market share position in accelerated compute looks like to you? There is a lot of startups; they've taken a lot longer to get into the market. But if we look two to three years from now, what's your perspective on on,
1: on market share? A lot changes in two to three years. I mean, I think about AI two to three years ago to today. It continues to evolve and grow. The models and the things we're talking about are you know, wildly different. Um, you know, we used to talk about ImageNet. Um, we used to talk about ResNet. Now that's kind of like – you know table stakes if you can't do conversational ai or natural language processing that's where a lot of the opportunity and the growth is coming from the um and we're well established already in those other places so the the uh, um i think the other that's one part of it i think the technology of ai is evolving really rapidly and it's why it's so important that you be a practitioner of ai in order to keep up with the trends because yeah. there's the, to understand what a model can do and actually do it, you know, that's that's an art and a craft, and you learn a lot about system engineering, computer architecture, interconnects, storage systems, cool. um, the whole data center. So I think if I look out in the two to three year time frame, it's and really it's happening now is you're thinking about the data center as a computer, because that's really what these these new data centers are being designed to do. They're designed to train a network at scale to give a data science team. The throughput and capabilities, and the tools to develop those natural language or, or, or conversational agents that are going right to those use cases, and the problem sizes they're trying to solve are, are huge. It's every product, every user, and, and every every data point, um, every newsfeed. So, so those are now we're optimizing, and NVIDIA has is shifted into a company that's thinking about the data center as a unit you know, of compute, yeah. um, and that includes not just our GPUs. But the systems, the networking, increasing the CPUs and how they all fit together in a broader software stack um, and and a Kubernetes workflow and how to manage enclaves with data scientists that are doing different services and and developing those things and then turning around and flipping that infrastructure over and applying to inference. You mentioned inference where, you know, before three, four years ago, the vast majority of inference was done on CPUs. Uh, Today, there are more compute for GPU compute for inference than there is for compute for CPUs in the hyperscalers. If you just add up the flops and the capabilities really? okay. uh, and that came from a 100 when we designed a 100, we started seeing this trend where the models are getting bigger because the capabilities want to get smarter and the CPU uh, could not keep up in terms of executing that model at the latency necessary for the NLP models or the conversational agents that we talked about, um, particularly in text to speech recommenders and, um, and some of the new, and uh, the newer models. As a result, the, um, the workflow, um, people started deploying GPUs for that. Uh, yeah. we saw it with our T4 GPU, which is widely used in all the hyperscalers today for, for inference. Uh, with A100, we made the architecture, um, excellent at both it's a great training gpu but also that same tensor core can be, can run all the operations necessary for inference so the reduced precision stuff you'd heard about int8 or fp 16 yeah we also have this capability called mig or multi-instance gpu where i can, this gpu actually can inside of itself split itself up into seven separate gpus that are presented independently of the system so that people can take the same gpu they bought for training and t- Turn around and serve up inference use cases. Right. And it's, uh, it's two to three times faster than our previous GPUs, just, just each one of those single slices. Um, so we're seeing that adoption of, um, you, you need to be good at both training and inference. Um, certainly having a workflow that allows you to do both and seamlessly go from training to inference is really important. Um, and then being able to obviously run all these new models, um, in the areas of conversational and recommender. That's, that's, that's super key. And maybe just switching gears a little
0: bit, Ian, can we maybe just get an update on, on the ARM situation? I mean, uh, if there's an update on the ARM acquisition, that would be great. Uh, but, but I'm also interested in, um, how, how what do you do with this asset from a data center perspective? I mean, we can see, um, we can see the, the, the role of us, you, you know, th- does, does NVIDIA see a general purpose CPU in its arsenal long term? Do you, do you develop? server architecture based on ARM, general purpose server architecture. Um, How do you see the the ARM opportunity in in the data center?
1: Well, certainly the data center is the new unit of computing. So we should look at all the uh, apps, how we can advance or how NVIDIA can advance um, the data center. And certainly that's my focus um, and what I can talk to. You know, I think from an ARM standpoint, uh, this creates the premier computing company for the age of AI. You know, combines the latest, uh, you know, NVIDIA's leading AI computing platform with ARM's, you know, CPU expertise and helps position ARM and NVIDIA and all of ARM's customers, uh, and that entire ecosystem of customers, uh, for the next wave of computing that, that age of AI. So, um, and of course AI is also powering the Internet of Things, which thousands of items, you know, bigger, uh, bigger than the Internet of People. At this point, so that that makes it very exciting. We certainly expand ARM's IP licensing opportunities and allows uh, us to offer NVIDIA's technology to large end markets, including mobile and PC, uh, and a turbocharges ARM server uh, CPU roadmap uh, by by help investing in the roadmap and advancing ARM and move move faster and accelerate its adoption at the data center, at the edge, in AI, and AI, and of course in in, in I, IoT. Uh, and it certainly expands NVIDIA's computing platform from reach to um, from from where we are today, about two million to over 15 million uh, developers. Mm. Uh, so that's very excited. Customers are very excited. I think the partners are very excited. Um, that opportunity is uh, uh, is great. Um, and we can't succeed unless ARM's customers succeed. But, but I guess
0: you, you see it as an important step to have CPU capability. For data center in-house, um, is is that how we should think about it? Particularly now that the business is scaling so much, the CPU becomes more fundamental
1: to to your to your solutions going forward. I think CP, we always needed a fast CPU. In right. fact You know, Amdahl's law is is still very much a law, yeah. unlike other laws. <laughs> the yeah. uh, uh, I can make uh, an infinitely fast GPU. But if we don't accelerate the entire workflow, the entire problem, um, I, may only, I can accelerate 80% of the solution infinitely fast, but I'm still only 5x faster. And right. I'm stuck at 5x. So that's why you have to think about AI and accelerated computing in general at the data center scale. Right. By investing in the data center at data center scale, both CPU, DPU, and GPU, all components of, of parallel serial and IO networking. Can you really get, achieve those 20x speedups that we talked about? And, and you think about that entire canvas and that's, that's the innovation canvas that we're talking about in order to achieve the next generation performance to, to see the, the AI continue to advance itself yeah. and continue to allow these breakthroughs to happen and, and turn them into business opportunities uh, with all the world's enterprises.
0: Excellent. Very interesting. Um, well, I think we're out of time, Ian. Um, can I just say, really appreciate your time. Great, great, uh, great discussion. Uh, we could go on for a lot longer <laughs> got many other questions, but, uh, but we really appreciate you coming uh, on, on the uh, event today and, and, and chatting with us. No problem. Thank Anytime. Thank you. Uh, our next speaker will be starting in a few minutes. We have uh, Samsung's network EVP, uh, Woojoon Kim. So please, can you click through on Zoom for that session? Thanks very much. Again, Ian, take your time. Bye for now. Thank you. Thanks, Simona.